0: In uh, grade five, we had you know interviews with our teachers, and they asked us, um, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" I guess you know there's probably some backstory behind this, but I said, "You know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but I want it to be something I'm passionate about." I don't know if there's something wrong with that answer, but I can tell you that my teacher looked at me like, "Well, isn't that idealistic and ridiculous?" Now she didn't say it, but I just but I but I knew that was the and I thought, "Okay, I'm not sure why that was the wrong answer." <laughs> Maybe you're jaded, maybe you're an adult, but like, I still want to do things that I'm passionate about today, as you know, (laughs) and um, I don't know why that would be wrong.
1: Well, hi, you're listening to Audio Life, the podcast that tells your story in your words. I'm your host, the Charismatic Former Soud, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Carrie Purcell. Now, Carrie, you're someone who has told your story before and importantly helps others to tell theirs. Be it in your successful podcast Metaverse or from your illustrious 17 year career in digital publishing. You've been helping others to share their story, but your own one is also incredibly interesting. Today, you're a multiple founder, a successful entrepreneur a wife, a daughter, and a brilliant woman. So we'd like to tell your story a little differently. At Audio Life, we uncover how the world around you influenced the person, Carrie Purcell, and the path they became to the amazing person you are today. So with that, I would like to begin, if you're ready. Let's do it. Okay. So, Carrie, we're going to start a little bit easy before we deep dive into, you know, what makes you tick? So that's how we approach things at Audio Life. And so, some light background questions. Let's start right from the top. When were you born? And is there a story behind your name?
0: Okay. Uh, so, I was born 40 years ago. <laughs> September 19th, 1982. Uh, Last year, I turned 40. It was a milestone uh, milestone birthday for me. Um, I was born in North York General Hospital, I believe. So that's in Toronto, Canada. There's a a, a little story my parents tell about my birth, but in terms of a story about my name, my mother had a good friend um, who she admired named Carolyn, and they called her Carrie for short. She went with just Carrie, which for my uh, age was very unusual. So today that's normal. Um, like, you know, kids have all kinds of names and uh, Sex in the City became very, very, very popular. And the, you know, the main character or one of the main four characters is Carrie spelled the same way as my name. Perhaps a point of interest, Carrie is spelled many, many ways. And most people don't get my spelling the first time. Long story short, it was a bit unusual to go with just Carrie. Everybody, when I was young, thought it was short for Carol or Caroline or something else. I will tell you one other story about my name, and it will give you a hint into some of the family dynamics uh, that we may or may not talk about today. Uh, my mother had a middle name chosen for me, okay? I was, I was the second of three children, and uh, she chose a middle name for me, and it's Shoshanna, She thought it was very beautiful. It meant rose in Hebrew and, and, you know, and she was Christian and and thought that was a lovely name. Now, my grandmother, my father's mother came to visit uh, when when I was due. So my mother had, you know, a young, almost three-year-old son at home. She was going to have her next baby. And her mother-in-law came to visit to help take care of my brother and, you know, cook food and support her son and so on. And, And obviously probably meet her wonderful new little granddaughter who was coming along my mother shared her plan for my name. So this will be Carrie Shoshana. And my grandmother said, "Shoshana, what, what kind of name is that? <laughs> yep. and, and over whatever process and time period, she convinced my mother that that was a terrible name and that I, I would not be named Carrie Shoshana. I could be named Carrie. But my middle name had to have a family name, which is Claire, that was very important to her. Uh, and my father's side of the family, my sister has it in her name, my grandfather had it in his name, and so on. So my name on my birth certificate is Carrie Kristen Claire Purcell. Now, the only reason that's interesting is because growing up, my name was Carrie Kristen Shoshana Purcell until I went to get my license and I needed my birth certificate from my mother and I read my birth certificate and I said, what is his name? And she said, well, I had to do it for your grandmother, but I always planned to change it. And I just never got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's the That's a story about my name. <laughs> that's, that's
1: lovely and unique. And, you know, you never, you never really think about asking somebody about the origin of their name and comes out with such amazing, um, you know, background history to that. Um, you also mentioned two, you know, things that worked my interest. One about a story that you had potentially heard about your birth, and I'm just wondering if you could share something about that.
0: <laughs> of course. So the story about my birth is that my my parents had this wonderful doctor who they had been, you know, very very happy with um, throughout my mother's pregnancy and as they were preparing for my birth. But uh, as my mother went into labor, apparently he was he was golfing. Uh, so he was out golfing and they said, well, we're rushing to the hospital. You know, you're going to need to meet us there. And he's like, well, no, 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 you're going to have time, but I'm golfing and I'll get there. And so as my father tells the story, as you know, the frantic person trying to control the situation and so on, uh, he and the nurse practically birthed me. And, and in his words, you know, the doctor came in just in time to catch me after spending the day on the golf course. Oh my story! (laughs) Oh
1: wow, wow, that's incredible. Um, You also mentioned something that um, got my attention, and that you you said you were one of three. Uh, Could you tell a little bit about how many brothers and sisters do you have, and what order um, you came?
0: Sure. So I have an older brother. He is roughly three years older than me. And I have a younger sister who is roughly three years younger than me. Um and again, as my as my father tells the story, we were all born on Sundays three ah. years apart.
1: <laughs> oh, that, that's incredible. And uh I'll probably dig into that a little bit later, but I am very curious to learn more about your family and your relationship with them. You strike me as somebody that has a lot of pastime. What's your favorite pastime?
0: <laughs> I love I love the premise of that question because it's like, well, does does that mean I have a lot of time available, or does that mean I fill it with a lot of things? <laughs> we both know I fill it with a lot of things. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I guess that just that just brings to that like the question of balance between. Um, when you say what are your favorite pastimes, it may not be what I spend most of my time on, you know, things that I love to do. I love to travel. Um, I mean, a lot of people will say that, but I'm, you know, I'm really, every time that I travel, I'm inspired by different, different, uh, surroundings, different people, different foods, different cultures. When I travel, when my husband and I travel, he's typically my travel partner, uh, we're, we're trying to go, we're not the kind of people that are like, let's, let's go for, let's do all the sites in a day and a half and we'll check off the calendar. We're trying to stay for a period Mm -hmm. of time, typically a minimum of two or three weeks if we can, Mm -hmm. um, in a place to kind of feel what it's like, right? Even if it's a place that seems similar to where we're from, how does life feel different there? And interestingly, aside from just giving me a break and letting me think about things differently, it's often the place and the time where we make these large decisions about life. Like we should buy a house or we should sell a house or we should start a business or we should quit a, typically we're not quitting jobs, but you know, like we, we come away with these sort of these big plans about how we want to live our lives. And so, so I love to travel, but that's what it means to me when I say that. Um, and I love to cook. My mother was a very, is a very good cook. And her mother was a, actually a great cook. She and she taught gourmet uh, cooking lessons in their community. Mm-hmm. But for me, cooking is um, a combination of either challenging myself with, like you know, extreme ingredients and extreme recipes or just this really creative thing where you walk, you know, you close your computer for the day, walk into the kitchen, look in your fridge with no plan and start to just like imagine these flavors are going to go together. This is going to be light or heavy. This is, you know, and I, I just, I really love that. And then I love to see how it, how it comes together. Um, And I like cooking over baking because the fun thing about cooking is you can adjust along the way. It's very iterative and I can always get what I wanted in the end. Whereas baking, it's like you throw it in, it comes out and if it's not right, Mm-hmm. You, just, you have to start completely. Again, right? So that's, it's not my, like, yes, I like to cook, uh, bake something nice and share it with people, but it's not, it's not my passion. It's just a thing I would do versus like cooking where I'm really, I'm creating and I can really manipulate how the end result, I, I can imagine what I think it's going to be, but ultimately I can change it along the way and tweak it. Those are things I really love doing. Those things fill me and drive me. Uh, my family is really, really huge and important to me. You know, my husband and my, my dog, but my nieces and nephews and my siblings. Like, it's uh, we, we carve a lot of time out of our lives to make sure that we're there and that we're prioritizing that. But yeah, the pastimes you hear about are things like uh, entrepreneur organizations, uh, podcasts, uh, doing my MBA while having a full time job, thinking about starting a new business. Um, I don't know. You tell me what else. I, I love those as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what else do I fill my time with from your view? <laughs> Uh, you, you're, a, you're a very,
1: you're a very busy woman, Carrie. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how you even managed to fit in those other pastimes you included today. I really love your, um, your take on you know getting away on holidays. It gives you a fresh perspective on your life, and sometimes those were where you made some of the biggest decisions in your life. I found that really fascinating. And two, I I don't love to cook, but I love to eat. So. <laughs> i'm really you got me really hungry thinking about the the food that you're making hopefully one day i get the chance to try that
0: i should add we i absolutely love hosting so like i will definitely cook for you we will have parties let's do it okay (laughs) well well i'm a perfect guest you're a perfect host like
1: i hope i hope you're ready though because i do eat a lot of food so um, oh yeah (laughs) oh we'll be ready for that that's amazing carrie um With that, I'd like to take you a little bit further into the journey um, on understanding yourself and and sharing your story, which we hope to to get out of here at at Audio Life. In this theme, I'd like to discuss your identity and the factors that, that made you who you are today. Can you remember a month or a time when you first became conscious of who you are as a person and thought, you know what, this is who I am? And if so, what
0: characteristics
1: did you consider central to your identity?
0: Definitely an interesting question. Definitely existential. Let's see how far we get with this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what that question um, leads me to are these moments? I call them uh, I call them vignettes because I've always considered like is there value in writing down these vignettes and how they form a person mm-hmm. or how they how they mm-hmm. inform a person. So what's interesting to me is that these are moments that I recognized something about myself and something about myself that somebody wasn't expecting. When I was six, so I was in grade one, I was probably six, give or take. i I had um, this lovely, Grade uh, grade one teacher, Miss Rigoli. Um, We loved Miss Regoli. She was, you know, to us, she was old, but realistically, she was young. She was probably 25 and she had this long (laughs) brown hair and she wore long skirts every day. You know, she was lovely. So, anyway, in this class, I asked to go to the washroom. And of course, she said, You can go to the washroom. And I walked out and the hallways were completely empty. And I was walking down the hall. Now, I didn't recognize this at the time, but it was pointed out to me. So I'm walking down this empty hall, and our vice principal, who was Mr. McDonald, came around the corner, you know, the the principal's office was on one end, and then there was a lot, came around the corner from there, long hallway, and I had to go down that long hallway and go halfway to, to get to the washroom. So we're the only two people in the hall. And Mr. McDonald was our, not to go too far on a tangent, so he was our vice principal, and he was okay. Mr. Stone was our principal, and he was amazing. Everybody loved Mr. Stone because he just, he just, he knew our names, he knew our families, he understood how we felt. And uh, they both wore suits. Mr. Stone was a little bit short, Mr. McDonald was a little bit tall, but Mr. McDonald didn't really have that rapport with children, right? You just, so anyway, I'm walking down the hallway, and I've got this tall man in a suit walking toward me. Now he knows who I am, and he says, Carrie, what's that big smile all about? And I stopped and I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) What's that big smile all about? So A, not sure if I knew I was smiling, but B, I was just walking through the hall naturally full of joy with this big smile. And as soon as he pointed out to me that there should be a reason, I I lost my smile and I had to really think about it. And I don't know what my answer was. Like, I, I probably just said, I don't know, and like went to the bathroom, right? But then, but then I really had to think about, like, why shouldn't I be smiling? And sure, maybe it's as simple as, you know, a child's joy and stress free life versus uh, Mr. McDonald's. But, but I am naturally optimistic and I'm naturally, um, I'm very, very resilient. You know, I, I am now, I probably was then. Um, and so for me, like, I would naturally just be smiling. Um, anyway, so it was, it was just that point that I just thought, well, why, why wouldn't you be smiling and, and why aren't you smiling and why am I, you know, why is that different? I had a somewhat similar experience in uh, grade five. We had, you know, interviews with our teachers and they asked us, um, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I looked at my teacher and I I said, I, so I'm probably 10, right? and I guess, you know, there's probably some backstory behind this, but I said, you know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but I want it to be something I'm passionate about. I don't know if there's something wrong with that answer, but I can tell you that my teacher looked at me like, well, isn't that idealistic and ridiculous? Now, she didn't say it, but I, just, but I, but I knew that was the, and I thought, okay, I'm not sure why that was the wrong answer. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're jaded, maybe you're an adult, but like, I still want to do things that I'm passionate about today, as you know. <laughs> Um, I don't know why that would be wrong. That said, I think it does feed into um, the upbringing that I had, and the fact that my parents were very supportive of uh, the arts in particular. But you know, they didn't necessarily go to jobs that they were passionate about and loved every day. But they they obviously were supportive of. Somehow, I had gotten this culture that 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 was acceptable, and that was in fact something that you that you should be pursuing, and that is part of my identity. <laughs> Um, and there are points like that all through my life where I just, you know, I have to stop and reflect because uh, I've gotten feedback, verbal or otherwise, um, particularly from elders saying that's probably not, that doesn't make sense or that's not appropriate. And I have to stop and say, well, I think it is. I think that's who I am. (laughs) I
1: I love that. I love that. You know, it's very, uh, John Lennon-esque, you know, I guess you were a visionary at that young age. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where I think he had a question similar in school. Um, what did What do you want to be when you grew up? And he said, I want to be happy. And they said, no, that's not it. the right answer. You need to give a role. You need to give a job title. So I, re- I really love how you looked at it already with that kind of perspective at, at that young age. You rolled into quite a few of the questions that I was hoping to, to probe from that period. You, you shared a lot. So perhaps I could reframe one of them and um, was there any stories that your family told you, particularly when you were a child or a teenager, that they found perhaps amusing or interesting? Mm-hmm. Tells a little something about your character, or that you may find amusing, for example.
0: Hmm. So this one I definitely find more challenging in terms of top of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I find it challenging is because when I think about my teenage years and things that my family said or thought about me. Um, Well, in one respect, I had a very supportive family. In another respect, there were some family dynamics that were, I will just call them unhealthy. So things like um, labeling, labeling, people particular, so each of the children and my mother with these labels that, um, whoever decided, you know, probably a sibling, maybe an older brother or a father probably decided, well, you're, this is annoying that you're like this. And then they would throw that at you. So things like, um, (laughs) I, I, I wasn't the only one, but I, I heard things like, well, you think the world revolves around you. And again, I had these right. And yeah, we can laugh and we can say, "Oh, it just happened in a moment and whatever." But for me, it was this moment of reflection. Like, well, no, I don't. I don't think that because I don't think I am somebody like that. But of course, when I say that, like, you could, uh, from any perspective, you could say that. But for me, it was hurtful because it didn't reflect what I thought was true. So there are more of those than there are the others. Unfortunately, I'll say, uh, normal or not normal. And, and even the story that came to me second, there's almost a little bit of a cruel undertone. I, we were taking some road trip. We did often uh, take road trips to the East Coast because my father grew up there and his family is there. So it may have been a trip there. It may not have. But wherever we were going, there was... Uh, The ocean. And as we were driving, finally we were getting to, like, we could see the ocean. Okay. Now, my parents could see the ocean. I was sitting in the back seat, probably with all three of my siblings, probably pretty short. And they said, Oh, look, there's the ocean. And I said, Oh, where, where? Right. And so they tell this story. They're like, And little Carrie said, Oh, where, where? And they said, Well, it's over there. And I said, Where, where? And then it turned into like, it's, it's there. Can't you see it? And I was like, no, where, where? And they were like, well, where's the sky? Can you see the sky? And I was like, you know, of course I looked up into a, uh, at that time we didn't really have sunroofs and, and so on. So of course I looked straight up and I was like, no, where, where? Ultimately I was, I was like enthusiastic and open and excited, but the story they retell, which sounds cute, has this undertone behind it of kind of making fun of a small child who can't, can't see the ocean or the sky, whether I can or not, I'm
1: looking for clarity. Talking about memories, do you have a favorite or cherished memory out of all the memories that you've experienced up to your age today? Something that really stood out for you?
0: Hmm. Uh, I mean, there are many, and I it would be hard to isolate one, and I think I would have to kind of put them into buckets, right? Ah, so mm-hmm. um, my wedding, for example, mm-hmm. really, really special day for me, very meaningful Point in my life. And I genuinely enjoyed it. I walked through that day with uh, my husband and I had sort of intentionally said, okay, listen, once it actually comes to this day, like we have to be present and we have to, we have to be there. And we were like, it was so, um, I mean, it's moving and emotional and you have this outpouring of support, but also we just like, we really enjoyed the day. So, I mean, if you, if you have to pick one, I probably have to go for those big milestones. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's a good, important one. But there's all these little tiny ones. Just this past Christmas, uh, I had a chance to speak with my um, my husband's great aunt, Annie Ruth. She's 90 or maybe just a little bit over 90. Um, she has just recently lost her husband, Uncle Max. We lost him last summer. Uh, and then last fall, we lost, and then they were married for over 60 years, maybe even 65 and then we recently lost her older brother, um, Papa, my 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 husband's grandfather, Stuart. Um, now, Stuart and Ruth are these like incredible people. I won't spend the rest of the podcast talking about them and their lives, but it's worth at least a podcast. But the reason I'm pointing out this memory today is because, uh, you know, with everything changing in annie ruth's life she's recently um with the assistance of her children uh, her daughters you know sold her home that she lived with max for a long time moved into a retirement residence and and at christmas i had the chance to sit beside her and kind of look at her and say how how's how's the transition going like how does it feel there have you found your people um and i you know ruth is so um open and honest and supportive and loving and real and she has all of her all of her senses about her which often at that age you you may not Uh, and she just looked at me and we had this real conversation she said you know Carrie I I was married for 65 years and these people they're not like me (laughs) and you know and, and you laugh but like I mean it was it was it was just um so I mean that kind of memory to me is like they really touched me that we could have this honest conversation about this big change in her life with somebody very much my elder who doesn't need to respect me and be honest, you know, and open with me as a, as a, as almost a peer, but she is and was, and she just shared that with me and we talked about it and we sort of, you know, and then she told me, well, you know, my granddaughter's visit, um, one comes every week. The other one tries. My daughter comes every week. You know, we talk about this. This is what my life looks like. And then shortly after Christmas, we took a trip out to New Zealand and um, learned via her daughter and Facebook that, uh, they had a COVID outbreak in the home, but they were all isolated and, you know, life was just crappy. And if anybody had time to maybe give her a call to do it, my husband and I did. And we knew that she would love the fact that we were out in New Zealand and that it would be a story that she could share for, you know, at least months. <laughs> you know, oh, Carrie and Matt, they called me from New Zealand. We chatted for an hour. Anyway, so yeah, gosh, I mean, I to pick the moments, but I guess there's a big one and there's a small one. Those things, um, changed the way that I view life and, and,
1: and, and live in it. I love that. And I feel it reflects your personality and character as well. You know, some brides, um, it's a magical day, it's a special day, but sometimes the event can almost overwhelm them. And they say it was the most anxious and nervous day of their lives. So I just love how you said, you know, yeah, your yourself and your husband, you know, be present, enjoy every minute of it, and I just love that. It becomes this really cherished memory that both was monumental in your life, but also something that you really enjoyed. You answered a few things there as well. That message that uh, your aunt um, and Ruth shared with you, something that stuck with you and, and maybe changed your perspective. I was going to ask, and perhaps that's the example you might want to give. But is there something that your parent or grandparent told you? when you were much younger, that stayed with you throughout your life? Maybe it was some useful advice. Maybe it was something about you. Maybe it was something about how to how to treat other people. Anything that comes to mind?
0: Sure. Um, so I I have these interesting dynamics uh, when I think about so grandparents and parents. When I think about my grandparents, my paternal grandfather passed when my father was young, so I never got to meet him. And my maternal grandfather passed when I was about three, two or three. I have a few vague memories of him, but obviously he wasn't present in my life. So I had I had these two grandmothers, one on my mother's side, who was a very, uh, <laughs> now I laugh and hesitate because of who I'm speaking with. Uh, so she it was uh, British from a North American grandparent culture, very closed off. She was very rule oriented. She didn't. You would get the impression she didn't particularly like children. I don't know if that's true, but that's how you felt as a child. She had a very dry wit. Um, so with her, with her rural orientation, she would say things like, um, you know, you don't wear a hat to the table, right? That would not be proper etiquette, and we have proper etiquette. But, um, but occasionally, we would have friends or boyfriends who would come over, and they think they can wear their their baseball cap to the dinner table. And my grandmother's way of handling it would say, is your head cold? And everybody around the table would laugh knowing that she's saying, take your fucking baseball cap off. But she would never say that. (laughs) Um, On the other side, my father's mother was incredibly uh, like one of those big, huge personalities. Right. She was the she was probably the loudest voice in the room. She was a major storyteller. She loved her family, loved her family. And you knew everybody knew that they were her legacy was her family and they were everything. She had a, an expression that she would say to you every time, and it was just "I love you too much." That was her, was one of her sayings. Um, her her second saying, which is from a song, was "Have I told you lately that I love you?" Right? I mean, this was just this was just her. Um, so were there things that you, that either of them sat down and shared with me? I mean, my mother's mother sat down one day. I mean, the most really that she kind of opened up and and did was she told me that at a young age that it's important that everybody has a collection. And she gave me this small collection of porcelain dog figurines that I was supposed to carry on. And the reason I remember it is because I never understood why it was important. <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I, still, I still don't know. And it's one of those, like, I really wish I could ask her, but I, but I didn't. Um, now, uh, you know, and then, and then my, on my grandmother's side, I think, you know, anything that you ever, my other grandmother, anything you ever got from her was just like, you're perfect. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're, we love you. Like, you know, it was just that. So instinctually, I, I can tell you that I was raised mostly from my father, but probably a joint effort for my parents to believe that I could do anything. I I do that little laugh for those people that are like, well, that's a stupid, what that actually means practically that we didn't have that answer, but it was like, you can do anything. You can try anything. You can be anything. Now there's a whole lot of other stuff. Right. Um, and maybe we'll get into that in our conversation that, that might, that might almost counter that or might build rules around it or whatever. But ultimately I genuinely just sort of thought I can, I can do anything. And we were very much encouraged to go to university, but we weren't told you have to be a doctor. It was like, you can do anything you want. You just have to have a degree. And to be fair, my brother and sister actually chose college, not university. Um, so, yeah, I I think maybe that's the answer for today is, is, is what I grew up with.
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. And now for a word from our sponsors. Ready to share your stories and life philosophy or capture those of a parent or grandparent? Or maybe a corporate package is right for you to build connection across your workforce and add value to your clients. Visit audiolife.io today to learn more. Our listeners will get 10% off using discount code GIFT10 and order number Audiolife podcast. Audiolife, where memories find their voice. I've known you for quite a while and I think I've got to know you quite well. But if you were to maybe present yourself in some ways what do you wish people knew about you that maybe they don't get from you know first impressions or from working Mm. or being your friend like what what do you wish they they truly knew about you
0: well i you know a lot of the things that i do in work and relationships um do ultimately align with my core values, right? So I, I, I do believe in transparency, and generally, I believe that I'm quite transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that there shouldn't really be big surprises for people in my life. What I'll say to answer your question is, what is is not necessarily what do I wish people knew, but um, maybe some things they just don't see that are part of my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big, huge part of that is being female. Um, now being female, having made decisions that not all females make and living a life that not all females want or, or attain. Mm -hmm. I do experience things in the workplace, for example, that, um, I do believe are unique to being a female. I have in my early career experienced pay equity issues where, uh, male counterparts were paid more. Um, I experienced situations where uh, a colleague who actually reported to, I think he reported to me at that time. He did ultimately, but he may have reported to me at that time. Um, His wife uh, was pregnant and they were going to have their first baby. And my boss decided to give him a raise. And it's like, there's this traditional thing, uh, which in north american workplace culture a particularly around equity diversity and inclusion is not okay but there was a kind of a traditional baby bonus um, that men would have gotten when their when their wife you know got pregnant and it was this idea that your expenses were going to go up and so the, the workplace is going to help compensate you for that um but now we're in a workplace with a female counterpart. I'm, I'm sure if I were going to go have a baby, I wasn't going to go get a baby bonus. <laughs> I was going to be off for a while and they were going to be pissed about it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but also I'm looking at like my career trajectory and trying really hard to go on the path that I'm trying to go on. And I feel that I'm being un, un, unfairly uh, treated. And, and ultimately, I still believe that that's unfair treatment, right? I don't agree with that kind of um, decision making. As I moved further into my career, things that would happen are things like... Um, Typically, the vast majority of the time, this only happens with males. Um, males will talk over me, right? And I have to sit there and I'm like, okay, is it? Do I just have a soft voice? Are they like? What's now? Now, quick aside. I grew up in a family um, on my dad's side, not my mom's, where it was okay to talk over. Um, so I, I even have that instinct sometimes where it was like, you'd be talking and somehow in our family, it was normal to have two or three conversations going on. It wasn't, my grandmother would have, on my mom's side would have thought it was rude, but on my dad's side, it's not rude. You're just, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. I'm just telling them, no, I'm listening, but I'm just going to tell them this. Right. And literally that was okay. (laughs) But when you go into a workplace and whether it's your, your peer, your junior or your senior, and you're saying something and they're talking over top of you there's a few dynamics that are kind of a big deal, right? So I'm literally uh, not being able to speak. I'm literally not being heard. But as a female growing up in a professional world, you're also aware of the fact that certain behaviors, um, we saw this like when Hillary Clinton was running for president, right? So people would describe her behaviors, they may have been kind of male and alpha, but coming out of a smaller female, it it wasn't received well. People didn't didn't feel good about it. They didn't like it. So there's this idea that if, you know, if a, if a guy is tough and, and uh, you know, particularly dominant at work, he's strong. But if a woman is, she's itchy or whatever else you want to describe it. And as a female in business, you, you kind of, you do grow up with that. Now I'm not, I'm not naturally, I'm very, I'm naturally very collaborative. I'm naturally full of joy and optimism and resilience, right? Um, so I'm not particularly filling that alpha role, but But I have to be aware in a workplace that if somebody cuts me off and I say, (laughs) fuck you, I wasn't done, they're going to say, wow, she was a bitch when really like, um, you know, and I don't, I swear when it makes sense. So I'm not, I'm not somebody who swears a ton. I have already sworn a lot on this. Uh, Maybe I should stop, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, there's a lot there. So I, I have to do a number of things, right? I have to, I have to be aware of the situation. I have to pause. I have to take a breath. I have to decide which tactic I'm going to take. So often it's a polite, like I'm going to raise my hand and then I'm going to politely say something like, Oh, I wasn't finished. Um, now in the world of virtual work as opposed to actually sitting across maybe a board table with somebody, you say things like, is my mic working? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very nice out if somebody, you know, (laughs) somebody's getting caught cutting you off um, and so on. So yeah. Do 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 you wish people knew this about you? I don't. I guess. I guess they wish people knew that that's the world that I that I inhabit. Um, that they probably don't see. You know, everything else. Like again, if if I'm transparent to the point where um, I'm not going to hide it, but between diplomacy and privacy, I may not proactively share something like that. So I will 100. If you ask me about it, you want to know about it. I'm going to be transparent with you, but where people may say, well, I don't, I don't know if she's transparent, which I don't think they would, but if they did, it would be that caveat that I, I do like to be, I do like to approach at least, um, the business world diplomatically. And I do, I do like to protect my privacy where I, where I feel that it isn't something to throw out in front of people.
1: Absolutely, that's a remarkable answer, and I think you're 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 dead right. It's not something you might openly go out and champion, and you know say I'm a victim or something like that. That's not your style. And interestingly, in a theme we discussed earlier in this conversation, I was going to ask, did you ever feel pressed because of your identity, and if so, could you give an example? And you really helped bring a lot of insight into me. And, and this is what I love about Audio Life process is that not only is the is the user able to find out and share these stories, but they're able to share it with a lot of other people. And even in this case, I know you quite well. And it was really inspiring and interesting for me to learn that aspect about you. We all know how skilled you are and you have a lot of experience and passions. And again, maybe in a lighter touch, something that perhaps you're really good at that people wouldn't know. Now you've given us some great ones there with the cooking and traveling and, and so on, perhaps a hidden sport or... Maybe you can, um, I don't know. They have these things I see in American sitcoms where like, you can like, uh, roll your tongues or do this other (laughs) stuff. I don't know. You double jointed something peculiar, perhaps.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll give you some, I, I do have sort of a double jointed thumb where I can, I can bend it behind. So I, I guess people that's a, you know, I can roll my tongue the way that some people can, some can't, I can, uh, I also have a phenomenon where now medically I have no idea where this comes from or if it's a problem but I can shake my eyeballs. I'm not sure if you've ever seen yeah now I think it's creepy. I have never I've never had it video recorded because um I did it a lot when I was younger and we didn't have like we just didn't have cell phones with cameras on them. But in my in my life I have discovered that I have a cousin. These are both on my mother's side. I actually two cousins. So my Uh, My uncle, a younger cousin who's a male and an older cousin who's a male, uh, they both also have that ability skill, if you will, Um, that may be the only people I'm not sure if I've met others who have done it and or who can do it. And we have, uh, you know, asked my family doctor is a child and he said i don't know what it is but it's probably not good so just don't do it <laughs> um those are my uh, those are my odd things off the top of my head <laughs> okay, so,
1: so will we get a, an audio live video exclusive of the vibrating eye or or perhaps <laughs> I, perhaps to leave it off on the doctor's recommendation
0: i mean i won't do it on this call but yes we may we may do that and, the, heard- and it can be sort of a it'll get on the website if uh you know, maybe, maybe a doctor in the world will tell me what it actually is.
1: That, that would be great. Maybe we can put it up to our viewers as well. Perhaps some of them have a similar, uh, have a similar condition, um, or or ability. Very cool. (laughs) Very freaky, but very cool, Carrie. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you're always looking to do things, you know, is there something that you haven't done yet? Are you ambitious about something? I know you've always got big plans and even when you achieve those, you're looking for the next thing and i think that's why we hit it off but perhaps i could ask if you've missed any opportunities that you really would have liked to have done
0: hmm that's a great question um so in my life today so yes i have i have many more ambitions um and i do particularly the last few years i have taken every opportunity well actually i, I would say it's a theme um in my professional life in particular uh possibly before that where where I do try to take every opportunity in front of me which is uh, part of why I'm doing so many things <laughs> um so and i mean there has to you know there has to be balance along the way of what am i driving toward what do i care about what am i trying to achieve does this align with my goals right so i'm not just blindly saying yes i will do this i'm saying oh yeah that that's something i would have always wanted to do including this um MBA that we met during uh that was something I had just toyed around with forever i you know and my my husband who's been in my life a long time um since my undergraduate degree uh and my and my first master's degree has just sort of said to me I oh, you're not gonna it's not gonna be what you think it is you're probably not gonna you know um plus of course it's it's very expensive and uh so I didn't do it um but eventually some lovely you know, recruitment coordinator reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, you know, have you considered doing your MBA? This one's very affordable and very modern. And I said, yeah, I have always thought about that. And long story short, we're at April 19th. And uh, in May, we hand in both our business plan uh, for our capstone as well as our presentation. And that takes us to expected graduation in July. So when you say, are there opportunities they haven't taken? I don't have an answer off the top of my head, meaning I don't have regrets over opportunities that I have missed or that I feel that I've missed. I think about that fairly intentionally. So I, I, I don't have much regret in my life. I have uh, difficult times that I've lived through and bad things. <laughs> But, uh, but, but early on, whether it's the optimism or the resilience, you know, I had always believed, Well, this, this is, this is, this has made me who I am. And these are the experiences that, that, you know, that have led to this. And if I regret that, then who would I be? And what would I be? And I just, you know, I, I accepted very early that regret was not a healthy thing. And so I haven't collected regrets along the way. Um, I think in a different mindset, you, it would be easy to, uh, and again, there have been bad times. (laughs) There have been things that if I were if I were orchestrating, I would choose not to have those ones. But I don't regret any of it, and so I, I guess my answer is no. Um, and if you ask me what I you know, there are opportunities I'd like to see in front of me. A ton of them. I want to I want to go for a really long walk, uh, a couple months out in nature. I want to do one of those long bicycle like the ride. We have the ride for um like the cancer conquer cancer and the the ride for heart uh, out here and i haven't done those yet um i didn't have opportunities i turned down that i regret but i'd like to do those and i have this vision that i would be very happy for a period of time several months living on a sailboat i come into shore every once in a while but like i would navigate the sea and i would you know store my food with my i'd like my husband to be there you know but but just just that um obviously, as you know, I have business ideas that mean something to me that fulfill me that I would like to work on and, and some professional goals and some goals around my, my family and particularly my nieces and nephews. Um, my husband and I, again, are fairly intentional in the impact that we want to make in their lives, um, the opportunities we want to make available, and, uh, and we have some you know, money that we put away for them to be able to do things, whether it's education or travel or down payments. Um, and I suppose that leads to like a big, a big thing I should address. Many people know this about me, but I do not have children. <laughs> and, um, and I will finish the answer to this question by saying, I do not regret that, but very periodically, and throughout the time that I've been with my husband, we revisit it and say, is this something we will regret? And I I hope not, right? I don't know. I'm I have a busy, full, happy life and uh, and I don't have children in it. And I I, you know, we probably have options we could explore if we wanted to. And um, yeah, I I hope that I don't reach a point where I look back and say, oh, that was, you know, there were these big, important things you didn't do. And that might be one of them.
1: Wow. A really tremendous answer. Um, I think you can only answer that question currently in, in the present moment. And it sounds like you're living your best life. It sounds like you're truly blessed. You mentioned some qualities there. And I know I didn't ask you that question about qualities you'd be especially proud of, your resiliency and your optimism and has allowed you to take on those opportunities and do everything you want to do, and you still feel very fulfilled. And, you know, only you could answer that question in 30 years time with respect to, to, your, to your children, but it sounds to me like you're living your best life right now. And uh, so thank you, thank you for sharing that. I'd like to now, you know, finalize with our final theme to bring you into time. What is time? and uh, connecting that with your history and your family. So, I don't know about you, but time can sometimes go very, very quickly or it can go painfully slow. And I'm just wondering, was there ever a period in your life where time seemed to absolutely drag or when it seemed to speed up?
0: (laughs) Sure. Uh, It speeds up during the really good times um, a wedding, a wedding day, a vacation. It just flopped. the end of the summer. To me, the summer was always two segments, July and August. July was, uh, Totally relaxing and amazing. August just went way too fast. It started to get cold at night. You knew September was coming. You knew you were going back to school. Um, so yeah, during the bad times, it takes forever. It's uh it's like I've got this grind to maybe do a whole bunch of schoolwork and get ready for exams. And this two weeks feels like forever. And during the good times, it can't you can't slow it down uh enough. <laughs> well,
1: well, that's interesting. You mentioned school there, and I'm just curious what What was a typical day like for Carrie Purcell in your teenage years, whether that was in school, whether it was a part-time job, hanging out with your friends? Can you give us a snapshot of what it was like to be a crazy, chaotic teenager growing up in in Toronto? (laughs) Sure.
0: All right. I, so uh, I did. I was born in Toronto. I live in Toronto now, but I grew up in Mississauga. Uh-huh. Um, so just a just a very large. Uh, it's a suburb, but a large city. Uh, I think it's technically in the GTA now, the Greater Toronto Area. Oh. So it may or may not be. When I was growing up, it was right beside the GTA, which expanded after that. Uh, so I do love that question because in my mind, I get these two very vivid images of myself. I get. Um, I get Carrie the Rebel, and then I get Carrie the very conscientious academic. Uh, I had phases of both. I don't know if both of those carries are in me today. I don't think so. But um, but at one point in my teenage years, you had Carrie the Rebel. I knew school was important, but I prioritized my friends and my social uh, opportunities more than school. So for example, if my friends were going to go do something or a group of people that maybe were just outside of my social circle, but I thought they were really cool and I was really interested in being involved and I was invited. I, as early as grade seven, because we went to a junior high school, so grade seven in high school, as early as grade seven, I I skipped my first class. And actually, I think I skipped the whole afternoon to go and hang out with the cool kids who were going to skip school right? I was like, Oh, I'm going to prove that I can do this. And I just, I totally want to be in this. Yeah. I want to, I want this adventure. Um, now we were obviously caught, uh, like you just, you're all, you never get away with that. And, um, and on, at, at an early, you know, that very first one, my father slash parents, but, led by my father's thinking, decided to be to nip it in the bud and be very, very harsh about the grounding. So he grounded me for two full months. And grounding to him meant no telephone, which of course at that time was like a wired phone in your house. It wasn't like you could sneak away and make a cell phone call. Like It was like the phone rang and people knew who was on the phone. and I was not allowed to go out to anything after school. And in addition to that, my school grounded me during lunch for, I don't know, a week or two. So I wasn't allowed to be social. Now, that absolutely killed my my social life, right? The whole point of this thing was I'm going to hang out with these cool people and do these fun things. And then I wasn't allowed out in the world for a very long time, but... Into my, into my the first half of high school, I continued to make those choices, and I was like, "Well, they have a different lunch than me, and they're going to go do this cool thing. I have a class during their lunch, but I want to go do that fun thing, which was like hanging out at the mall across the street from our high school, or going to the coffee time down the street from our high school just to like chat with people." Uh, I did early on also, so so I had that whole portion social life first bit rebellious. felt that my parents were very, very, particularly my father was very, very strict. Um, Most people's groundings would have been like a week or two and it wouldn't include the telephone. And mine was like two months, no phone, no social life. So rebellious carry started to mean that when I did these acts and I got this huge punishment, the only way to continue to be social was to do another act, right? So it's like, well, I'm grounded, but I'm not coming home from school where you can tell me I can't go out. I'm just going to go out. (laughs) Right. I mean, they forced me to do it. Uh, so I had that part. And then there was a there, there there were two other aspects. One was that I knew I was going to go to university and I knew that grades were important. And I knew after grade 10 those grades were going to be important. Um, and so in junior high school I was a probably a straight A student, and in upper high school I was a straight A student, but for a couple years in the middle there, I you know, I wasn't as devoted to my studies, let's say. And then what else did I do during my time? Pretty much as soon as I was able to, I took a part-time job. Um, we have these you know, labor laws in Canada that dictate your age and, and so on. Uh, and I was slightly too young to get a job at Tim Hortons, very Canadian. Uh, that's a, that's our coffee shop that's, that's very Canadiana. Um, but I was at the young age that I was, which I'm not sure if it was 13 or 14. I think you had to be 14 or 15 to work. But at 13 or 14, they could give you kind of a fake job. Uh, So they let me have the job as a, um, a, a, this was a newly formed job. I was a bus person. So I wasn't allowed to talk to clients or take money. But I was allowed to take, you know, go and clear the tables from the china mugs that they had used. And I I don't recall if I actually had to fill the dishwasher. I don't think I did. So not much of a job. And I was, you know, despite being a little rebellious, I was very, um, ambitious and probably a little bit, you know, intelligent. And so I quite quickly learned the other jobs. I wasn't allowed to do them, but I learned them. And then what I did, so the other jobs were, uh, you know, you had sort of the regular cashier. um, You had the section where they made sandwiches. The cashiers were all responsible for coffees, but you had the section where there were sandwiches. There was the, you know, the cashiers would get the donuts. Then there was drive-in and drive-in was on the other end and they had the headset. They took their orders and then they had to coordinate, like they'd make their coffee, but they had to go run and get donuts and they'd make their sandwiches. So, the team realized I you know, had more ambition than being a bus person. And they allowed me to wear an extra drive-through headset. And then we all started wearing them. And they would say things like, Carrie, grab a donut on your way. But, you know, I'd put my little bin down, I'd package a donut and I'd hand them a donut. Um, and quite quickly, I'm sure before I was legally allowed to, I did get promoted, you know, within probably a couple of months. And I was allowed to take cash and drive-through. I was, I really enjoyed drive-through. Uh, but mostly, as you can tell, I loved the team. We had this awesome team that was just, we were, we were killing it at our work, but we were also just having so much fun. <laughs> so why did I do it? Aside from just feeling industrious, I did it because of goal orientation around money and wants. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I gotta get this job because when I want running shoes or a television with a VCR or etc. Mm -hmm. I have to go through so much hassle with my parents, trying to convince them that they should buy this for me and when I should, how long I should wait and who's going to give me birthday money that I can contribute this whole negotiation. I was like, I don't want that. I'm going to go get my own job with my own money and I'm going to make decisions. And so here's what I did with my money. First of all, huge saver. Okay. So it just like went into the bank. Once I had enough that I felt like I could spend some, my first purchase was a combined television VCR. That was a thing. Uh, So I could have it in my bedroom. So I didn't have to share the main, the family room or the basement television. I could just have my own. Second purchase was I wanted we had a family cottage and uh, my neighbors had a trampoline and like in the country, I think that's a big thing. You have these trampolines, mm-hmm. but in the city where I live, nobody had a trampoline, but we loved jumping up. So I was like, I am going to buy a trampoline for my backyard because I yeah. like the trampoline. And at the time I was probably 15 or 16 and it was a $400 expense. And I was like, well, I have like a few thousand dollars in the bank because I have been just saved as most of my money. <laughs> and so as I'm saving, and my father, the good side of my father, my father is like, are you really, like, I've been talking about this, right? I'm like, well, I'm going to get a trampoline. I'm just going to save a little bit more money, and then I'm going to go buy it. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, are you really going to spend that much money on a trampoline? And I was like, yeah. And then he went and bought it for me, like, as sort of like a proud reward. And he was like, you don't have to, I'll buy it for you.
1: Oh, the
0: third... Third, car. Also for my own freedom, I was like, I don't want to, first, I don't want you to have to drive me around. Second, like I wanted this independence. I was like, second, you don't like, it's a fight every time I have to borrow the car, which by the way, was not for my brother. So that'll be a story for another day. The dynamic between male, female, older, younger. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, fuck it. I am going to get a job, save money, and buy my own fucking car. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> it was the, it was, it was the, my brother didn't buy his own car. My sister, I don't know if she ever did, but, but yeah, I have my, I've had several cars because I've So, yeah, that's who I was. I was like, why am I getting a job? Because I want independence and I want things and I want buffer (laughs) savings. I love that. I love that. I love that. And then there were, you know, like rebellious care came in a little bit. Sometimes we had boys visit us uh, at work. Uh, Sometimes, I will be honest and tell you, I liked to, um, you know, get involved in partying a little bit. And on occasion, I would go out late. We'd maybe have some drinks. And on very rare occasions, I would call in sick to work because I just like, I could not get up and go to work. So I still had a little bit of that. Yeah. Wow.
1: Wow. I love to learn <laughs> that about you. Academic golden student. I could pick all that up from you, Carrie, but I, I, I thought there was a rebellious streak in you there somewhere. And that's wonderful, Carrie. We're, we're almost coming to the end of this uh, discussion. However, I'd love to open it up to you. Is there something um, particularly about your history, your connection with your family, something about yourself, something about your story that you feel that we may have missed in this call that you would you would yeah. love to share?
0: My immediate answer is yes, we have missed a big part of my story. And it is revolving around my father and his dynamic in our family and also in my upbringing with the time and the size of the topic, I will suggest that that might be its own episode.
1: I'm super excited about that. That sounds really yeah. cool. I mean, it's gonna give us some loads of insights. A very very insightful interview. Honestly, Carrie, I feel like we got, we're just like scratching the surface. We can go further deep down the rabbit hole. It was a joy to interview because you're so easy to interview.
0: Well, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate the interview. I think we should probably log off and get to either food or the rest of our day
1: (laughs) yes yes absolutely if you like what you heard today consider recording your own audio life private podcast or giving one to a loved one for a unique and memorable gift today audio life listeners will receive 10 percent off using discount code gift 10 and order number audio life podcast also remember to rate our show
0: and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode